Welcome back to the Cairo London Podcast. It's episode 53 today and Craig McLean here again your host. Today I'm speaking to Tammy Parler, MBE. MBE for services to women's sport, but to be honest, the story starts um, following a 35-year or so journey mastering her martial art called Hapkido. So uh, she runs a Hapkido school in London, and she's been a teacher of Hapkido for years. And it's a really interesting journey just to think about anyone who dedicates uh, that length of time to mastering one particular art form. And it's a great story to hear about that. But also, she gained her MBE for setting up the Women's Sports Trust, which is something she set up after the London 2012 Olympics. And they do a great job of promoting women's sport at the elite and high-end, top-end level. So uh, they have a big part to play in why there's so much more women's sport on TV and in the papers these days. Uh, So Tammy talks us through her journey with the Women's Sports Trust as well. And we get into a little bit of chiropractic because she's been on my table for over a decade. So uh, Tammy, thanks for taking the time to talk us through your journey. It's an inspirational tale and, uh, you know, I'm sure everyone's going to love it. So over to our conversation. Look, Tammy Parler, welcome to the Cairo London podcast. Thanks, it's lovely to be here. And not be being manipulated by, uh, by you. <laughs> not that that isn't an enjoyable experience. Well, no, we've come and made it a separate time, which I think is good, yep. so we can focus fully on this. Yep. Um, and uh, I guess for those that don't know who you are, uh, I made a list of things that I was going to suggest that you are renowned for. Slightly nervous at this point. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, well, uh, you are a master or a six-stand black belt of Hapkido, right? You're also a co-founder of the Women's Sports Trust, which possibly helped earn you the MBE. It very much certainly did. And then in amongst all of that, uh, I remember this as well as you were going through this, you, you knocked out a master's of strength and conditioning. Yeah. And some further study in sports psychology mm-hmm. and you run the school of Hapkido and you know, then in your extra spare time you dabble in um, master's powerlifting competition, right? Um, not so much so since a hip replacement. So, uh, but, we but obviously yes, I still... have that story to tell, yes. <laughs> <laughs> which is all part of it. It's kind of cool. In that, and, you know, I, I look back as well in that you – you first came to Putney Chiropractic in 2004. Wow, was it that? Yes, I know I've been coming for quite a long time. Um, you haven't been able to shake me off. Um, <laughs> but 2004, wow. That's, that's, yeah. So, you know, we've got a lot to talk about and, and uh, we don't really get into any too much depth in our, um, our sort of one-on-one sessions over the year. But I wanted to start with you just because there's a few things I, I, I wanted to sort of, because Hapkido, I'm sure a few people are listening, including myself, yeah. I don't understand um, yeah. at any depth. So let's go straight into Hapkido. Yeah, I'm supposed to have been very driven in certain areas of my life. Um, and thankfully, one of those areas is a Um, physical and also I suppose spiritual discipline so in that way it has balanced me out if I'd have chosen that I don't know um, something 
I don't know, drinking wine was my thing that I wanted to be driven in. It probably wouldn't have been as um, as balanced and whatever. But but yes, I've uh, started a martial art when I was, oh gosh, probably 12 or 13. So I've been doing it now almost 40 years. Um, just decide, woke up one day, decided I wanted to do karate. Um, and I put on an American accent because I was in America at the time, um, even though I am English. Um, and uh, Grandmaster Chang, a um, first-generation Hapkido Grandmaster, Korean Grandmaster, happened to be living a 20-minute drive from where we were living and tumbled into his studio, and I have been his student ever since. So it's what they are, and they never stopped. I suppose I never realized I had a choice to stop. As I say, I'm very driven and focused, and I decided that this was something that I was going to do. And um, probably the the pandemic is the is the longest period of my life since that time that I haven't been flipping people around, etc. Um, been doing things online, but there's only so many things you can do um, on Zoom, sitting in your in your office at home. Um, but Hapkido has um, is a physical discipline in in that it has. Um, kicks and punches like you'd find in karate and, 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 and taekwondo, but also pressure points, joint manipulation, weapon techniques, free fighting. It's and, and also because Grandmaster Chang is the son of a Buddhist monk, um, he brought in the whole philosophy side and the Zen Buddhism side, so it has a meditative angle to it as well. Um, so in that way, very much a complete art, but it doesn't have competition in. So people would say, you know, gosh, um, what competitions have been in so forth. It doesn't have that. It's more about personal development and things. Wow. So, so many questions out of that as well. <laughs> um, but so I guess, yeah, it kind of like, again, if you were learning this art when you were 13 and obviously nowadays it's very much a lot of a uh, very popular anyway to be into meditation, self-development, and and this is it like definitely wasn't at the time. No, well that's no, what I mean. And I was I was this 13, 14, 15 year old kid. Um, at, at sixteen, I started going to his daybreak meditation classes, and that was sixteen because then I could drive myself. And these were five thirty in the morning. Yeah. At a sixteen year old, at fourteen, I was reading Tao Te Ching and you know Buddhist philosophy and things. I wasn't normal. <laughs> I don't think I am normal still. Okay, so the obvious question that needs to be asked then is when did Karate Kid come out relative to you being 13? Um, A few years later, I think. Okay, so you're already into it. Yeah. And then Mr. Miyagi arrived on the scene. I have no idea where this sudden desire came from, none whatsoever. Yeah, so it was not to do with Karate Kid. Good. Uh, And But then you also mentioned there before that that there was this, you know, th- this lifelong relationship. Or you, at what point did you decide that it was going to be a lifelong relationship? Then, um, I, th- I think as soon as I started, I just, I never, I enjoyed it. It was, it was a place. I was, I was very much a duck out of water in in the states. We moved there when I was eleven. Um, moved in the middle of the school year, um, and I felt, I don't know. I, I, I was shy, I, but I found myself quite a lot within the martial arts. It was a place that I felt that I could be me. Um, I didn't really talk to anybody, and but um, you know it wasn't about that. It was about and I, doing the art, and I, I felt that I was liked there, and it was sort of almost a, 
became a safe place for me. Um, so I didn't never wanted to stop. And then by 15, I decided that this was what I, I wanted to somehow become a master and have my own school like Grandmaster Chang. I've got I had no idea how that was ever going to happen. You know, how would that happen? So was uh, were you one of the few children in the... Uh, in the uh, yes, absolutely. In the and one of the few women as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for most of the classes were with, um, uh, yeah, with men, really. Yeah. Uh, but that didn't occur to me. It yeah. was just, I was just there to do it and everybody sort of took me under their wing and off we go. And uh, it's so cool that, uh, you know, back... What year was this then, would it be? Um, let me think. It would be around about 83, maybe, guessing. And, you know, that's groundbreaking in itself, really, isn't it? So maybe now you were telling me about this story, it mm-hmm. doesn't seem so surprising that you'd mm-hmm. sort of develop or found mm-hmm. the Women's Sports Trust in the fact that you kind of lived out that life yourself um, mm-hmm. as a 13-year-old, maybe. Um, yeah, the know. Women's Sport Trust was... Um, I suppose the the you know life when I had other other work and things and and that, then I I was able to at one point go full time in in my martial arts set up the, the school and that was a kind of um, if I don't do this I'm going to become older and I'll regret it so I've got to sort of go for it so I I worked to um, sort of going part time with my proper job um, and then full time with the uh, with the martial arts but um, it was always something that people didn't know how to, to talk to me about. You know, you go to dinner parties and it's like, what do you do? What do you do? And so, well, I'm a martial arts instructor. Oh, that's a funny thing for a woman to do. I mean, it was always, I always felt a little bit other, I suppose. And then um, the Olympics came along and we were lucky enough. We had tickets to all sorts of um, events, all women's sport, um, uh, ironically. But then suddenly it was, oh my God, I'm seeing female athletes. I'm seeing... You know, I'm a tall, athletic woman, and I'm seeing other tall, athletic women. Mm. And it was suddenly, it was okay to be a female sports person. And I noticed myself standing taller, um, being, didn't not as kind of almost embarrassed. Embarrassed about being someone who's dedicated their life to a sport. How bizarre is that? But not embarrassed about what I did for a living. And, um, or having to defend it somehow. And it was a really magical time where everybody was happy in the city. And it was, and I, I realized it was one of my happiest periods of my life, really, for that sort of few weeks. And I thought, I can't lose. I can't stop this. I can't. I don't want to. I, I, I don't want to leave this feeling. I have to do something. I have to be involved somehow. Um, and looked into volunteering with a couple of places, but no one answered my email. I mean, I was there, I was I'll stuff envelopes, I'll do anything, I just want to be involved. Mm. And I, I couldn't seem to, to get anybody to, to really talk to me at all. So I thought, okay, I'll do something. I'll set something up. <laughs> <laughs> and so that wasn't long. So what, what year did, was the Women's Sports Trust founded? Um, so we we got our first patron um, November 2012. So it was very soon after yeah. we had the Olympics and the Paralympics, and then um, yeah, sort of stumbled into that. And suddenly Anna Watkins was in a coffee shop saying, "Yes, I'll be your patron." I'm like, okay, <laughs> <laughs> how did that happen? <laughs> and we should like I, I definitely want to go into that further as well but let's just wind it back because i haven't finished mm. with your hapkido story either and in, in and 
you know, it's it's probably maybe it comes back into conversation a little bit more now with the whole lockdown and everyone's now watching Cobra Kai or whatever that <laughs> sort of the remake of Karate Kid. And I did sit down with my 10, 11 year old daughter at the time and rewatch Karate Kid with her, you know, mm-hmm. and that was a really kind of special moment there too, you know. Uh, but, you know, for you then, it sounds like an amazing journey where you've just gone right from age 13, I want to become a master mm-hmm. and run my own school. And then it always fascinates me the, the, the way that it's not a linear Gosh, no. situation no. of growth within like a, a lot of martial arts, I think, but especially it sounds like where for you to become a master, there's not like a tick box situation of just... So talk us through a little bit about the journey of how many years did it take for oh, you to become... The, 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 I've, oh, I've got a... I don't know whether you know, you know my background of, of coming back to the UK or anything like that at all. Well, I, um, I remember because it was Chicago yeah. you were uh, yeah, you were Chicago, living in, Chicago. Right? So um, moved there when I was eleven and, and and left eleven years later. And it was I didn't want to leave. It was um, okay. I had immigration problems that forced me back because okay. um, they weren't sorted out. And I tried all sorts to to stay there, but eventually it was re- that realization that I had two weeks left on my visa and there wasn't going to be a chance to. To stay, so packed my bag, said bye to my family, and and left, and came back to the UK. Didn't know where to go, so had a grandma in Gainsborough, Lincolnshire. Moved in with her, signed on the doll, um, and but Hapkido had been so much my identity, and it was sort of I I was an instructor by that point, and it was sort of how do I I can't I, again one of these things I can't not do this I can't mm. sort of stop and I, I was first few weeks I would just well for more than that but be on my grandma's driveway just doing my patterns and practicing my kicks and things but um, and then I sent my grandmaster a, um, uh, a letter next day delivery he called me up and uh, basically I said to him I, I, I want to keep going but I can't I can't I can't think of training with anybody else you know once you've been with someone of certain quality mm. You don't want to go anywhere. And also, you know me, Craig, I'm that sort of person. I've been with you how many years? As yeah. a <laughs> you find someone good, you stay with them. Yeah. Um, so, and he said, okay, set up a school. And I'll, if you set up a school, I'll, I'll come visit. Mm. And, and up till the sort of pandemic, he has visited and graded my students and things multiple times a year, mm. ever since, you know, in the, in the past sort of 27 years. It's... And it, it, so really, for me, Hapkido was, I suppose, the one consistent thing in my life. Sport has been the consistent thing in my life. When you are in a situation where you actually lose your family and you lose your livelihood and you have to remake, it is the one thing that's, that's um, for a long time, held me together, I suppose. And, and the, the interesting thing is now with the, the charity I am starting to develop a different identity as well mm. um, that isn't so fixed onto being just this martial artist. And I feel like, as for myself, it, it is making me more rounded as an individual. Mm. But I, I suppose I needed not to be for a while. It needed to, to keep me um, safe and secure and sane. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll definitely go into that further. But yeah, so to become an instructor, though, you uh, that's i think is that a black belt by that point anyway um uh, it's i was 
just about to test for my third dan when I left. Um, third dan, black the, belt. Just uh, yeah, yeah. And then and and then it was a case that I ran. I started a school in Lincolnshire, um, and I would you know working full time and then doing that in the evenings, and then um, I would fly back to him. Sort of, uh, he would come over here, train me. I would fly back to him. I would practice stuff on my students, and it's it, by. By that state, if I hadn't have been that level, it would have been an impossibility. But by the time you're at a particular level, there's a lot of stuff, you know, you do things by yourself. You've got your, your training students. You've got the people to, to flip around. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> but then, but this is the point, though, is that it took you how many years from 13 until uh, your sixth Dan? Um, fifth Dan, actually. Fifth, fifth Dan. Dan, yeah. Fifth Dan, right. Yeah. Because um, it's it's like a, it sounds like you, yeah you, he's a very tradition he's very traditional so it's 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 sort of you it takes a long time you know to be I know it's God, you, in martial there's so many martial arts out there you can you can yeah. start your own and make yourself a twentieth down if you wanted yeah. he is a very traditional and it you know it doesn't take you less than thirty years to get to thirty five years to get to a point and really why should it you know if you're a master of an art to get it in uh, I don't know. Three evening classes is a bit. Um, but that's you know. That, I just love that up. idea of thirty-five years or whatever it is to to achieve the goal that you set when you were like thirteen or something. <laughs> um, and in this culture where the microwave oven is key mm. to our existence, you know, <laughs> ding. Um, there's something really nice about that, I think. Though, um... Yeah, it's, it's funny that you say that, the mic, because I am extremely impatient and my personality. <laughs> I'm so impatient. I want everything done now. I need to ticking boxes and everything done now. But yes, it, the martial arts has been, it's been a way of life for me. And it's sort of, I, um, now I don't care what level I am now, which is easy to say when, once you're a master, mm. you know, because so you've, got, you've achieved it. So <laughs> it's easy to say, oh, it doesn't matter when you've actually got it. Um, but... Um, it is a way of life, so it's just doing, you know, practicing daily and doing whatever you do is just part of who I am. So do you still, I assume, part of the practice is meditation every day? or? Um, I, if I'm, I, I feel like I should say, oh, yes, I do that every day. Um, I don't do that every day, but most days, yeah. Mm. Uh, and there was probably a period of time where you did practice twice a day and meditate every day and yeah um, absolutely Be- before the um i was setting up the charity my i was doing things full time i would be running three hapkido classes and a meditation class every day so that's morning afternoon evening um mm. it's sort of very much dominated my life all those social times when everybody else is out doing some things i, I was uh, yeah f- Focused on this one uh, one aspect, but I, I also didn't understand that that idea that it's a non competition um, yeah. uh, thing where you're 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 learning the art for the sake of learning the art and for your own um, getting better, you know, yeah. always improving, which is a big part of who I am as well. That idea, I want to keep learning. I haven't got it sorted. Mm. Just keep. And the thing with Hapkido is, there's so many different aspects to it. There's always something you're bad at. Yeah. So there's always something that you need to improve. But I'm assuming that the undercurrent is is partly once you become good at it and disciplined at it, then you know that you could use it at a point where it's needed. Um, I, I hope so. Yeah, I hope so. I don't really, I don't practice it 
for because it's also a self defense an art of self defense is one of the things it's known for. Yeah, but because I've never, it's, it's sort of meant to be a, from what I saw is not an aggressive. Yeah, aggressive it's very practical. Like, practical as far as if defensive. someone did attack you, you would yeah. be able to defend yourself. But I've never thought of it in that way. It's not how, why I practice it. It's mm. I love the um, um, my. Um, father is a mechanical engineer and I think I have a little bit of that his brain that sort of understanding how the body works and you know you you tip this thing a bit like chiropractor I suppose you mm-hmm. you know you move this thing and something else happens and you you know it's I I, I really enjoy the how structure plays a, a role the how um uh, you know, you, the indirect pressure on you know to move this joint and the big toe tweaks and you know that's um, I joke a bit, but um, that structural side of things fascinates me. Mm-hmm. Mm. I'm looking forward to your description of what you understand a chiropractor actually does later on. But, <laughs> no, um, which uh, might get deleted from this podcast later when <laughs> no, I, no, when I mess the whole thing up. That's the reason I asked you to be yeah. here, because I, I, that was the main question, really. Mm. But uh, and, and this is the reason of this podcast anyway, as it's pretty small fry. Um, mm. uh, but I think those people that do listen to it enjoy... Because uh, I, I mean, I've interviewed all of our chiropractors and a few international um, mm. people who are fairly renowned. Um, and... Uh, I'm I'm now welcoming people of interest who mm-hmm. I see on a regular basis mm-hmm. and that I know maybe have something to share, you know. Mm-hmm. And I have to really work hard to get away from cycling. Um, <laughs> so thank you for You're being very welcome. martial You're very arts. Welcome. Finally, mm-hmm. anyone who's listening to mm-hmm. this is going to be saying, thank God he stopped talking about cycling. Um, <laughs> uh, but anyway, um, but look, so... I guess let's talk a little bit more about the Women's Sports Trust then, okay, because um, th- there's been some fairly big advances in these last few weeks, really, I think. Uh, has there not for women's sport? Um, well, I just, just think with, with, with our uh, charity we've done all sorts. Um, well, I think because – well, tell us uh, the, the vision yeah. of the charity is what exactly? Um, so the strapline um, – Gosh, mine's gone totally blank. How, how bizarre is that? Making women's sport visible, viable and unstoppable. So we are a charity, UK charity, that does a lot of work behind the scenes trying to influence decision makers to up the visibility, to increase media coverage, to um, promote diverse range of, of, of role models, to improve the funding landscape for women's sport. So it's it's very, we work very much at an elite level as well, so it's not about grassroots. Even though what we do will have a knock-on effect of grassroots, it's more about commerciality yeah. of, of women's sport and, and, and upping the visibility. Um, we do um, – so this week well, – last week we um, launched uh, – published some research into visibility – um, we a few weeks before that we launched an athlete program called Unlocked, which is all about supercharging female athletes. Um, so yeah, lots of good stuff. I think I watched that video. It's good oh, stuff. Okay. Mm. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, what I was referring to was that mm. there was this big TV deal for uh, women's football. Oh, brilliant! Yes, absolutely. So tell us a little bit about that. What's going uh, on? Oh, it is a game changing, really. The amount of women's football that will be seen um, on um, on the the TV will be, uh, you know, is is 
is more than than any sport has uh, any women's sport has has achieved before, and, and also it's a, a combination of on uh, pay TV, but also what's being shown on free to air, which means the potential for um, increasing the reach, increasing audience. Um, it will be phenomenal. And women's football, I love women's football. Mm. So um, exciting to watch. It's getting better and better because they're full time. Yeah. Because um, um, organisations are spending the time to to grow the sport. Mm. So, yeah, absolutely fantastic. Very exciting. And, and that all sort of got supercharged probably after that World Cup. Uh, Women's World Cup, right? Which yeah. is a pretty successful. What year was that again? I can't remember. Uh, I can't remember either. Yeah, it was a couple of years ago, or something, yeah. wasn't yes. it? And yeah. then yeah. that certainly put. Yeah. That was an amazing yeah. competition. I yeah. seem to remember. Yes, um, but the FA are really um, are doing a, a, a fantastic job of really focusing on this area. Um, the director of the professional game, Kelly Simmons, is doing uh, yeah, a phenomenal job as far as. You know, bringing sponsors in and the broadcast deals and up in the quality. I mean, it's it's yeah, and I can't say enough positive things about it. And then on the weekend, I did catch some of the Six Nations uh, rugby Mm. women's game between France and England, of which England won. That was an exciting game. They do not muck about, do they? I mean, um, I can't. I haven't seen a lot of women's rugby on the mm. on the tally, and obviously mm. this was on BBC Two, I think, on yeah. Saturday yeah. afternoon, I think it was. Mm. And yeah, I mean, it's a it's an amazing game. It's like uh, and and it was a pretty tight sort yeah. of affair. The England France one was always going to be the uh, the best uh, game, definitely. Very very tight, very exciting. Yeah. Um, the, I suppose the challenge with rugby is getting all the international um, bodies sort of up to the same um, standard, really, mm. um, because the other matches that were played you know, the, against England, it wasn't near as, you know, it wasn't halfway as close. But I think that's the the thing is that England and France are the professional women's mm. outfit, right, and and there's yeah. a less professional yeah. in other international mm. setups, mm. right? Mm. Yeah. Okay. Now, um, cycling's I think, has changed quite a bit this year too, right? So um, I don't know if you know much about that, but um, because I, I keep an eye on the men's scene quite a bit, and so they always do these spring classics, they call them, and uh, I'm pretty sure this year for the first year I can remember that the women's races, um, some of them, I guess, didn't even exist, um, but they've been introduced to the calendar, but they always have the women's race on first and then the men's race on second. Um, quite often on that same day, they'll sort of set the women off in the morning and then the men in later that afternoon over the same circuit. And, you know, they, they got a little bit of publicity this year about unequal prize money um, and as a sort of a negative thing, but I sort of see that as a what they've done in terms of getting themselves on the tally is is better you know because i think eurosport now or is is this they're they're so looking for content that that, you know the it's now a thing where they will televise a six-hour race I mean, that's not. Who sits around watch? So I was going to say, do you watch as a a cyclist? Do you watch six hours? Do you sit there and? um... I think the the good thing about the format is that I watch a lot of it through these apps, like Mm. the Eurosport app, and you can always 
fast forward or have it mm. in the background or watch it whenever okay. sort of yeah. the kids are in yeah. bed or you know whatever so yeah. uh, no uh, I'm not sure you, it's a sort of thing you need to have on the background as you're doing yeah. some work you know because especially I can see if, it in a bar or a pub or something yeah. in the, uh, in the... <laughs> and it's a lovely way to see a countryside especially now when you can't sort of travel anywhere yeah. but um, mm. no I mean they were just some of the things but the, the question I guess about this especially with my daughter Charlie who's uh, 11 um uh, what can we or any of the general public do mm. at a level that we're at to support this growth as well? Because mm. oh, even though I guess when, you're not working... Yes, where, watch it. Yeah. Uh, watch it, go to, I mean, not only um, when it's broadcast, but also go and, and live sport, you know, when it opens up. Mm. Um, is it, It's really good sport, you know, mm. go, and, go, and, go and see it. Um, if you have, if you're involved in any capacity, um, you know, ask, ask, just ask the questions. Where's the, um, where's the women's stuff? Where's the, uh, the big issue that the sports industry, every aspect has is it's um, not diverse enough. Mm-hmm. So um, it's, uh, it's mainly um, led and run and, or uh, whatever organization by white men. Mm-hmm. So, if, you know, we need to get the whole industry more diverse. Yeah. And, and, and by achieving that, it'll have a, you know, we'll, it'll have a knock-on effect mm-hmm. um, throughout. So I suppose ask the questions, go and see it. Um, don't talk about it if you haven't seen it, you know. If there's, don't say negative stuff about it if you haven't actually gone go and, and see it. Yeah, yeah, because mm-hmm. I'm sure there's a bit of that with mm-hmm. maybe journalism out there or maybe mm-hmm. they haven't sort of fully appreciated it and then... Mm-hmm. Um, it's sport at the end of the day and yeah. exciting sport when it's, competi- it's competitive. The England-France rugby match mm-hmm. was exciting because it's competitive. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sometimes the, there's an argument that, oh, but men's sport is faster or stronger or so what. But that's, you know, you wouldn't say that a, a lightweight boxing is less than a heavyweight boxing. Mm. It's, it's, a, it's a, a lazy argument. Mm. And I think as an Aussie, I think, uh, you know, in the fact that we're renowned for, well, you know, considering two flies racing up a wall as a sport almost. Um, <laughs> <laughs> or certainly something worth betting on, you yeah, know what I mean? Right. That was the joke that's about two flies. That's what you've been doing through uh, lockdown then. <laughs> yeah. Um, but my nieces, um, there's, there's this big push for women's Aussie rules football. I don't know if you know aware about that, but but now, and, and I've seen this in the time, even within, I have three nieces who are 14, 12, and 10, and the 14-year-old is fully into netball, right, because um, that was the sport the girls played when the men and the boys were playing football. And the 12 and the 10-year-old are all playing Aussie rules football um, and a bit of netball as well um, because now there's this really strong uh, women's or girls uh, Aussie rules thing going on. That's and brilliant. they have these, uh, the, the female competition is huge as well. Um, and uh, now they have these like they never had role models to look up to as well in that sport and you know it's as fierce as rugby is over here um but that's that's really something interesting that i've seen change in australia uh and the other thing is even in my my kids schools that where you know back in the day it was for girls it was hockey netball and rounders right um and about three years ago they changed well probably five years ago now they changed it from hockey netball and cricket so there's been that change of like, well, rounders really isn't a 
sport that is internationally known as such, mm-hmm. I don't think. Could be wrong. <laughs> but certainly cricket is, and then that sort of idea of women's cricket is um, gaining a lot of traction as well, you know. Um, yeah. So that's quite cool. Um, they haven't quite changed it to playing football and rugby yet um, at our school, but I guess well, that's... hopefully soon. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, yes, just, should sport be gendered? I don't know, particularly for kids or even any, any age. Well, like even Charlie's good friend, she was like the she's really into her football, um, and you know they went off and watched these uh, the women's games at Wembley before pandemic was going on, which was a sellout, I think. Yeah. Um, and but there wasn't really a football team for girls, so she just said, "Well, I'm playing. I don't care." And she was just in with the boys and sort of. Uh, Good for her. So you know, I guess that's yeah. the sort of thing that, that. But it's great that you know, I'm speaking to you, who's basically driving it from the top end. You know, so um, and let's go back to that identity though. It's really interesting how you you always identified yourself as the martial arts instructor. And I guess especially now lockdown and pandemic has kind of stopped you from doing that as much as you were and your identity now is more what yeah, sort of... Uh, I suppose before that my identity started to um, develop beyond just martial arts instru- uh, instructor because as the charity grew um, and it's sort of taken over my life now. Um, so it was that process was was happening anyway before the pandemic. But yes, it's been... It's been quite a, a an, an interesting time. I mean, I've we've I've still been running um, online sessions um, twice mm. a week with my group, and that has been such a joy. Mm. Particularly in the, that first lockdown period, when we were all sort of a little bit shocked to the system, being able to connect with um, my community was so important. Um, and uh, you know, we we meditate together, which is on a Zoom is quite um, you know everybody. Uh, Got the video on, eyes shut, not saying anything. Is some is that, that sounds like my dream zoom. It's so good. <laughs> we meditate together and then sometimes we do some physical stuff, but people have very limited space. So we'll look at some videos, we'll talk about some um, philosophy in some in some regard, we'll you know, all sorts of uh, mm. it's been a it's been a lovely experience. But uh, different experience. Yeah, well I'm sure. Mm. Um, so Maybe let's just talk a little bit about some of that stuff. Maybe we want to go down the chiropractic route. Maybe we want to talk about your podcast, which you ran for a three seasons. Is that right? Um, yes, yeah. Something like yeah. that. And then, uh, yeah, as I was joking early on, I was like, well, you stopped doing your podcast or took a break from it right mm-hmm. around the time that the pandemic sort of kicked off and everyone then started doing a podcast, <laughs> including myself. Um, and so you're ahead of the game there again. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, it, your podcast is called A Question of Performance, yeah, right? Yeah, so it's um, – I haven't done any since the pandemic, Um I I started it because I'm uh, I think I've already mentioned already I love learning and I love I want to keep improving and, and, and getting better and and I recognized that I had um, I wasn't probably talking to as much people as I should be and I wanted to meet more people and I wanted to understand more things and it was as an introvert as well it gave me an excuse to go and talk to people and to um, learn about other different aspects of the sports industry Um, so it was yeah it was a mechanism to do that and then when the pandemic 
hit. Suddenly we can't go out. And it, it was about me going and, you know, going to um, talk to, I don't know, Alex Willis at, um, at Wimbledon and being, you know, looking around Wimbledon at the same time. It was, it was, it was that whole thing for me, not just the, 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 the episode on the podcast. So mm-hmm. um, it's, uh, and then also with uh, the, the charity, um, a lot kicked off as far as um, projects and things we were going. And I was, I was actually bringing together um, really uh, significant sort of groups and, and things. So it's, it lost what it was giving me. It kind of lost, uh, or at least I couldn't access it during the pandemic. Will I go back to it? I don't know. I, I will see. I don't know. It's, uh, it was always it was done for me um, rather yeah. than um, for an audience. But I think that's the thing about it, and that's why you know I've done. I think this is episode fifty three mm. in in under a year. So I've I've averaged one more than one a week. Wow, gosh, um, yeah. Because I did about. I think 47 or something in three years. So you're way ahead. But I think that's reflective of the fact that actually I enjoy it at some weird level of like just having a conversation. It's not, you know, I think last week I was banging on about how difficult it is to do a podcast, but effectively all we're doing is recording a conversation. And Mm. um, so others can kind of hopefully glean a little bit something from it, you know. Um, And uh, I, I think... I do enjoy that side of things and, and mm. that idea of sort of bringing in um, mm. some of what – because it's realistically every every time I sit down it's about someone else, you mm. know. I, I just enjoy that idea of joining a few dots with yes. people and then um, – I don't know about you, but I also I followed my interest as far as it wasn't yeah. sort of a set. I know people have – I don't know, we're going to do a podcast and it's going to be all about – um, football or all about cycling or all about and I just okay what do I want to learn who do I want to talk to and what bit of the sports industry don't I quite understand yet and okay I'm not I need to understand more about broadcasting rights so I know I'll go and talk to a broadcaster I need to understand more about data or about what it, what it takes to um, what's the political side of it you know it was just sort of trying to to, to follow my own sort of learning path um, but you know, you are the life student, aren't you? You know, like um, always learning. That's cool. Uh, so, I mean, I guess yeah, because it's it's like a combination of you've you've learned from a lot of different people there. You, you're probably meeting a lot of those people and having meetings with them now, just not recording it as part of the Women's Sports Trust anyway. Um, you're permanently revol- you're probably surrounding yourself with women who are at the top of their game or because I'm assuming you're, you're having a lot of interaction with athletes as well or is it more oh, administration? Oh absolutely, or, uh, yeah. no the athletes definitely as well, we've got this um, uh, program called Unlocked which is in its second iteration which this one has 35 elite athletes, so Olympians, world champions sort of level um, and uh, we're holding uh, fortnightly hangouts with them. Um, this program's we've had two of those so far. Gosh, they're interesting and passionate, and um, real really want to make a difference within uh, within women's sport. Lots of watch this space. Wow, and is is that driven by? Well, you know, I guess they're proud of what they do, I guess it is, but it's probably also driven by the sort of a little bit of resentment that there's not enough stuff in the public eye. Um, um, I, wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to use the word resentment. I would want mm. to say more of, because um, um, that feels like a, a negative. Um, yeah. the, sort of the, the personality of the charity as well is not there. 
you know, some of the stats are horrendous, but not they're not there to berate. I, I actually strongly believe that people want to people recognise that that women's sport is is um, should be promoted. They they understand that it actually has so much commercial potential, but don't necessarily know how to go about doing it. So yes, the stats are awful, but that is also shows what an opportunity we have. And if you, if you're interested in growing something and being, I don't know just being right at the bottom when something explodes. I mean, why wouldn't you want to be involved? Exciting times, huh? <laughs> Watch this space. Talk to me a little more about, like, you know, because I think uh, more and more as I do this, I think I realise that why I'm a chiropractor and why I've been 25 years in practice is that I, I just love that idea of trying to help people perform at their best, right? Yeah. And mm-hmm. um, I'm always interested to hear you know, you, you've had a lifetime of helping people perform at their best mm. through Hapkido and mm. I guess you're extending that now out into mm. women's sport as well. But, I mean, is there anything that you either learn from your podcast or people you're meeting or the athletes right now or that you'd like to share with us about oh my gosh. what, you know, it's such a <laughs> massive story and where do you even start? Because normally I guess it's like you're speaking about rugby or something and you're like, right, how do you perform your best as a rugby mm. athlete, you know, but... Um, you know, you mentioned the word discipline there earlier yeah. as well, um, and I think you've got to, I think you've um, it's got to do what you're passionate about. You've got to believe what you're doing, and and not and do it for I don't know. It's, it's sort of because. Uh, <laughs> is that eloquent enough for you yeah no I, obviously like if you're you need to live and breathe it to yeah. sort of like get to that point of like and be, mastering and, and it it's sort um, of you know setting up a charity from scratch um never done any of that before never done never done half the stuff but you just i don't i don't know just decided that was going to do it and other people other people have set up charities so it can't be you know i'm not stupid it can't be that hard it failed the first time with my things then, but then you think, okay, I'll do it better next time, and did it again, and then we got charity status, and then you, you know, it's sort of recognizing that you hit walls, but that doesn't mean the end. You just got to keep, just find a different way around it. Just um, you sort of say it can't be that hard, but if it is, if it isn't that hard, why isn't everyone doing it? You know what I mean? But then well, that's not everybody wants to. <laughs> but then... Sometimes I wish I didn't want to. <laughs> But there's also that idea of like letting go of that kind of fear of maybe I shouldn't oh, do that. Oh gosh, letting go of the fear, or is it more? You see, you see, once I'd seen so the Olympics came and I realised wow, women's sport hadn't seen it before. Suddenly realised, suddenly realised that it had been absent. And once I saw that it had been absent, I couldn't not do something. And the fear for me is around not doing something because that would have, you know, how on earth could I not now, you know, that all that thing of becoming a, a master, what do you mean sort of stop the martial arts? How, no, I can't not do that. You have to keep going. It's sort of, so, so there isn't an absence of fear, but maybe the fear is at a different place. Yeah. Fear of not doing anything, huh? Mm. Of not living up to your own uh, like potential, image of, yeah, potential or image of who you are, or I don't know, yeah. Well, inspiring stuff, <laughs> I hope. Um, fine so, line between inspiring and crazy. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. Is that like in reference to the Super League football that's happened recently, right? All, oh. the, all, the, all the crazy owners thought that would be a good idea and apparently yes. it wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> um, hey, look, let's focus in on the Cairo side of things because yeah. um, I, I picked up that thing that you said there before where even though you have practised this amazingly patient learning art of Hapkido over 30-plus years mm. and yet you've claimed to be a really impatient person... Um, I'm wondering if it, is that part of why you enjoy coming to the chiropractor because you're a bit impatient with when your body doesn't perform at its oh, best. Interesting, huh? Right? And so, so if I could like, chill out a bit, I wouldn't see you as much. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I just picked yeah, up on that before, and know, I'm like, I wonder if that's part yeah, of it. Yeah, you know? I wonder. Yeah, because it does. It, there is that instant relief when you adjust. Um, you know, I come in sort of hobbling and sort of uh, looking like an eight-year-old probably and I walk out like a 20-year-old. I'm 50, by the way. But um, uh, So what, in, yeah, in your own words, describe to me how you or you, know, you feel like you've already described how you maybe see some of those benefits of, of, of movement. But, but what else at a sort of deeper level do you think, like, how well, what, how do I sort of describe? You know, it, 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 interesting as well in that I've your point of been with you what since two thousand and four or something. So two thousand and four, you, you I, th- I look back and you, you did a, a couple of years of sort of you know you, there must have been something going on I don't know and then you, you took a bit of a break and then you you came back I think yeah. it was in two thousand and nine and sort of since then I think I've been looking after you fairly regularly. So. Yeah, so it's because I've um, you know through the years I've I've had. I went through a phase of having regular massages. I went through a phase of of seeing physios and of, of um, uh, osteopaths and all that sort of stuff. But the chiropractic is the thing that I suppose I've never given up. It's the the others have sort of come and gone. Mm. But with the what I get from a chiropractic ad- adjustment, particularly one of yours, um, is has consistently um i've found consistently essential or, or, or helpful and i for me the the easiest I'm, i love analogies the way that i would describe it is that and, and i use this analogy in the martial arts as well when you're um if imagine a hose pipe and um the hose pipe is your, your water in the garden a really strong flow out of there but then it starts to get kinks in and so the flow isn't as good or it starts to totally sort of, um, you know, you can't get anything out. And I suppose that's kind of what I get get to a point where it's got so many kinks in and then I come into you and suddenly it's flowing beautifully again. And it's, um, I don't, I, and I don't know, it's part of it is what I put my body through, I suppose, because I, you know, I do the, I don't compete in powerlifting anymore since the hip replacement, but I, um, I, I do still do the, the, the training every other day. I've got my martial arts training and I'm spending an awful lot of time, like most people sat on my bottom um, at the computer. Um, so the, there's that day-to-day stuff plus the additional sort of sport element that I pummel my body with. Um, also, having had the hip replacement and talking to the, the specialist, my structure was always going to need help. <laughs> um <laughs> One hip replacement, and he says probably in about 10 years' time I'll need the other one just because of how I'm built. And I can see that in other um, female members of my family. I've got similar kind of things. So there's something in, in there as well um, that means that you get I get these kinks in my body. Um, and 
my when the kinks are there I, I feel like my brain isn't as clear I feel like um my posture isn't as good so suddenly realizing I'm slouching um and um and I'm not as strong um I not I'm not as flexible um and then I come and see you and I uh, go and teach one of my martial art classes and I don't need to warm up as 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 much or my flexibility is better I can kick better um I'm sometimes there's that instant thing you um, adjust my head and suddenly everything's brighter um or I can hear a little bit better mm. and it's um the best way is that analogy of the hose pipe um, that's got kink in and then suddenly click, 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 and it's all nicely adjusted. So good. I knew you'd come up with like some <laughs> gold right there. That's um, And I think the problem with most chiropractors is that they spend, well, five years at university and they kind of educate themselves to a point where they can't actually communicate properly mm-hmm. um, a simple idea mm-hmm. or a simple message. And we'd be talking about nerves and like <laughs> reflex arcs or whatever else and, and you've just put and, and to be honest the hose pipe analogy is used in chiropractic quite a lot from a very simple explanation of bone on nerve squashing the hose pipe right okay however i have your analogy is way better get rid of the bone on nerve like concept and just talk about flow you know uh, yeah. and yeah that, flow definitely yes and that's the the flow as i say in its purest form is always about the brain communicating to the rest of the body without interference and mm. that's the simple description of what chiropractic is when mm. someone asks me mm. um but you know most most people are like a little bit too focused in on a particular pain or a particular thing mm. to even appreciate that um that it's it, it your body needs to flow better to be healthier mm. and stronger mm. and you know, perform better, maybe be a sort of a better immune system, better digestive system, all these different little things that you can't put your finger on. And and I can't claim to be curing any form of disease or illness, but it's like if your body's flowing better. Something like uh, connecting to... And it, and it really resonates with martial arts because when, when I'm doing a form or a pattern and everything is working and you just, you're so in the moment and you're flowing, that whole thing, you come, like you feel so energised. And it's the same when your body, after uh, adjustment, your body has been put back to how it, how it should be and everything just flows again. Mm. Um, mm. <laughs> Amazing. Now... Sometime, but going back to that thing of, of, of time and impatience, um, healing is something that takes time to occur. Um, and that's where you're going with this. Well, I can't wait to ask you this next question, but um, but it's sort of it, it is, you know, but I think you appreciate the fact that, you, you know, that, well, maybe not. Maybe that is that we go back to the thing of like maybe that's why you come here is because you like the quick fix to kind of get the flow back on again and then you can launch yourself back into all those things that you know are going to destroy you anyway. But <laughs> you, it. <laughs> but I, I also commonly refer to this thing that I call the there's a limitation of matter, right, and there's only so much stress a particular system can handle before it breaks right or even a particular joint um in your case your hip joint um before something gives up there right so but here's the question so you've you've mentioned you've had a hip replacement and um i'm bionic you are bionic you know they actually chop your leg off they actually get a sore and they chop it off 
Anyway, sorry. <laughs> I, I really, I've got a friend who's a knee surgeon who's actually operated on my broken knee yeah. and I do want to have that conversation in a podcast and go, just talk us through your day job for a moment. <laughs> and um, it's like, well, let me get yeah. the hammer out. Yeah. Um, yeah. But they, yeah, they literally chop off the top of your, your leg bone yeah. and replace it with a, a, a rod of yeah, steel. Ceramic. I've got ceramic in me. So, yeah, a cup of tea. But here's, here's the question. How did you get on? It must have been so hard. But how did you get on with the master of Hapkido, who is the kind of like so bulletproof, much, yeah, like, yeah. you know, the, the master of this art? Well, and I'm, then yeah. you have to have a hip replacement. It's, and I'm very. I'm very physical. I and your identity I, yes, as being that person, I, a super strong person. D- d- and I was I was pushing myself to um, uh, for a competition in powerlifting at the time. And, and interestingly, I, I got my points at the powerlifting, and I made it for entry into the um, into the uh, GB competition. And then my body just comped out. Mm. Um, but I, I was in denial for so long. I sort of surely, you know, it's it, I just didn't believe that. You know, I was hobbling everywhere. I was I was. Pain. I wasn't in loads of pain for up well, before, right a few months before. I was in a lot of pain, but um, the, the surgeon said I should be surprised that I wasn't in as, as much pain for the extended period of time. So much denial, and, and I was seeing. I went and saw multiple physios to get the answer to mm. fix me to do my little four weeks of whatever, and then I'll be fixed. And, you know, I had a few say that, you know, you're going to need a hip replacement. I'm like, no, I won't. Not me. Don't be silly. That's something that an 80-year-old has. And then you get to the point where you can't deny it. And I was, I was struggling. I couldn't walk up the stairs. I was struggling to get to the um, tube. I was still going in to teach my martial arts, even though I couldn't walk up the stairs properly. Um, I, because I didn't have an option. I had to do it. It's just ridiculous. But I'd get there and I would be hobbling around and I would have to be, um, I'd do as much as I could, but then get my black belts to, to take over. And some, some days I would be, I'd move just one, di- one direction and I'd scream out in pain. I'd think of my poor students that I had to, you know, what was, I mean, that's ego for you, not wanting to believe this um so in that way it's it's a good it's a humbling kind of experience it's totally understandable because you're you you sort of have to lead by Mm. you have for the entire you're you're the leader right yes and and as the leader you can't show a sign of weakness you know um i wasn't really um uh, getting any new students at that point that come in (laughs) (laughs) but you know there must have been an element of that as well you talked about genetics or whatever of your family mm. but th- there's also that limit of what you can tolerate to a degree yeah, too. Right? absolutely um, and I was doing I think particularly the probably the powerlifting as well I was um, I'm a tall woman and I'm, I'm not built as a powerlifter my limbs are way too long mm. um, and I was sat in the what they call pause squat you have to go way below parallel yeah. um, in your squat position and I was you know had the heavy weights on my back and I was in that low position holding it there for you know a few seconds before you come I was doing that way too long and it you know it's and and also 35 37 whatever years of me slamming to the ground of yeah. you know the martial arts is not just kicking and things you are being thrown and you're mm. bang to the ground yeah. all on one side um, oh, which is the side I got done so it's um yeah your body can only take that much but I also they said 
with the hip replacement that I would be sort of had to be at home for a month afterwards and I thought a month gosh without that, that's so long mm. but what I was also thinking was after that month I'd be fine and I'd be back to normal <laughs> <laughs> and when I wasn't and when I was still off only recently so I think it's how long has it been about a year and a half now and I've noticed in this past couple, I'm still getting benefit, noticed in this past couple of um, months, I'm starting to be able to sit cross-legged again, mm. which is, oh, it's amazing. Mm. Um, uh, and if I think back to how I was before the hip placement and how I am now, I mean, night and day. Mm. Um, and I'm starting to kick, but not at the, the same um, height as I could before. Yeah. But I can spin around and do all sorts. But that's that's that whole point of like, mm. you know, there isn't a process on the planet that doesn't require time, right? Mm. And so, you know, you've gone through that, that you know, the expectations and then, oh, well, I'll be fine. But yes. then it, it's taken yeah. you, you're still realising a year and a half down the track that different things you can do now, like yeah. sit cross-legged um, and start to lift that leg with kicking. Mm. And um, mm. But, yeah, like it's... Um, and it's, I think it is also interesting that whole thing where because because of you see, and and correct me if I'm wrong here but because you see chiropractic as like getting the body flowing better mm-hmm. when you kind of had all this hip pain going on um, because, because to be honest some people come in with hip pain to see me to get mm-hmm. that opinion like you were going to the physios with right yeah. and um, it's hard to swallow sometimes if you know sometimes you have to see a few different people to be told in a few yeah, different absolutely. ways that yeah. you're in trouble you know. Yes. Um, but it's it's nice the way that you were still using chiropractic before and after the surgery fairly yeah. closely. You probably only took a month off, and then uh, yeah, absolutely. I, that, mean, you know, I, um, I knew I, I wanted to come back. I knew it was um, uh, that so important for my body to have chiropractic treatments. But I was nervous. If I'm totally honest, those those first few times that I I, I did see you after the hip replacement um, because I. I didn't know would would it pop out? Would it break? Would yeah. it, I didn't know whether you know it seems silly now, um, but I suppose my body was still um, uh, injured in a way because I had to slice through things and all sorts. So of course, it felt um, a little bit um, uh, vulnerable. Um, but but I remember that time, like that the trust in the practitioner too, mm, right? Because yes. uh, there was definitely some. Um, alterations to what we would normally do yeah. and wait you know um probably the first couple of sessions we only adjusted from sort of the hips up sort of yes, thing yes. Uh, or, or sort of yeah. low back up um and then as as you got to do more and you could lie on that side mm. you could do whatever it was just like uh every time you Gosh, came yes, in I could, you, know, you, you, f- you forget yeah i mm. couldn't even lie on that side no when, yes and there was quite, quite a while. we were just for for Maybe, mm. I don't know, a few months you were only lying on that one side yes. because I didn't want to put any undue pressure through that area too. Yeah. And I'm sure, you know, someone who's a bit less experienced would be the practitioner would be as horrified as the patient, you know what I mean? Um, <laughs> and I'm like, look, I'm pretty sure, <laughs> well, the, A, these things get so bedded in there anyway um, yeah. that yeah. pretty quickly it's pretty hard to dislodge them. Um, and so long as you're not doing anything inappropriate, yeah. it's normally fine. Well, that's um, that's quite an insight into from the patient's point of view. I guess is um, quite a good story. Um, is there anything I'd just touch on your 
in the middle of all of this, you were doing your constant learning and thirst for knowledge as this masters of sport, uh, strength and conditioning. Was it was that sort of done pre leading into you doing competitive powerlifting? Then? Absolutely, yeah. So mm-hmm. before, um, and this was pre starting the, the the charity as well. Um, in fact, it's it's time scale that. So I I was doing my martial arts full time, and I'd as 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 mentioned, it had very much a Eastern sort of Buddhist, you know, very that's Chinese medicine sort of um, side to it. And I got to a point where I wanted to understand more the Western sort of side. Mm. Um, so I yes, I did a master's, uh, and also I thought I should have a master's. I have no idea why I thought I should have a master's, but I just decided it. A Western um, qualification. Yeah, <laughs> You're a master so, of Hapkido true, in the so East, right? So then become a master's. Yeah. In the so West. I, I did it in order to learn to be a better coach, I suppose, to be yeah. a better instructor. Um, and um, yeah, oh gosh, it was it pushed me so um, so much. It was yeah, absolutely, absolutely fascinating. Um, and then um, I so after that. I thought I want to keep learning and I love this so much that I'll do another master's, uh, this time in sports psychology. Um, but with that one, so I did the first year of that. Um, and, and then the second year was all that sort of preparing you for you to do your dissertation, you know, you da- and I was thinking, I don't want to do all this sort of data and reports, sort of whatever. I've already done that. I've already got a master's. I'm doing this to learn. Mm. So how is that going to benefit me? So I decided to to, to leave. So I only did the first year of that. But again, really, really interesting stuff. Mm. No, well, very cool. So let's, um, is there anything else you wanted to talk about? Um, I was was going to ask, because I think we should... Not that I like to timestamp these things too much, because obviously it's going to be relevant for decades to come. Um, <laughs> but, you know, the, the future in this mad old world we're living in right now mm-hmm. for, well, you, you know, what's, what's the school of Hapkido's future? How, you how know, do you that's, see that? that's, that's a really interesting thing. I don't know. I hope it has a bright future. Um, but the pandemic has hit sport fairly bad. Mm. Um, and if I hadn't got another job, so I wasn't doing the charity as well, I don't know how it would have con- continued. It's the, you know, membership just, you know, it's we're a, th- a third of what we were beforehand. Mm. And I, because I have another job now and it's not my full time thing, I have the ability to, to to go back and to and and, and restart those classes in person and not worry about it being a salary for me um which is the only way really that it could survive which you know hapkido isn't isn't really known in the uk and i'm i'm the most senior woman in europe probably in 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 my art and it's um you know so for it, it almost for it not to be able to continue would have been i suppose really quite heartbreaking in a way um but then also, what am I going to do? I don't know. You know, I've done this for almost 40 years. Do I want to do something different? And, and it's given me a, a chance to, to step back and reflect. And sometimes I think, oh, gosh, I'd just like my evening and to be able to sit and watch TV and have a glass of wine. But then I interact with my community and I start to do a few kicks. And I think, God, I never want to stop this. Mm. And it, it does bring balance to my life. I don't know. Watch this space. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm I'm 
Yeah, I feel for everyone out there who's whether they're owning a private gym or yeah. running a private school mm. like you are or, mm. uh, you know, our friends over the road here in Putney, mm. um, they just opened up a Brazilian jiu-jitsu Mm. Um, they took over that shop over the road there. I don't know if you've mm. seen that. Um, no, I haven't. And so, you know, that's – they've all been doing it so hard, you know, yeah. because uh, I'm yeah. not sure how you can sort of ask a business to close for nine of the last 12 months or however long it's mm. been, six of the last 12 months, and sort of and, – and be socially distanced and all yeah. this sort of stuff at the same time. And, mm. and then what impact is that having on balance and what impact is mm. that having on everyone's health? Mm. Um there's obviously that, you know, you, you're trying to achieve one thing but remove another and it's going to have impact yeah. somewhere along the line, isn't it? Yeah, um, definitely. Um, including, you know, kids who are maybe missing out on like all the inter-school fixtures are cancelled, mm. you know what I mean? And mm. so they're, they're not letting schools play against each other and so that's it's going to be mm. a big knock-on effect. But, look, I, I hope, wish you all the best in getting the guys back together again at the school. Thank um, you. If... People want to find you. Uh, what, what's your school called? Uh, Chang's Hapkido. Um, so changshapkido.net okay. or uh, com. Brilliant. Um, any social tags that you use? Um, at Tammy underscore parlor on, um, on Twitter. That's my, uh, that's my go-to place. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much for coming on, Tammy. Thank uh, you. It's, it's been fun mm-hmm. and I've learnt lots uh, that I didn't know, which is the whole point of these things, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I hope everyone else gets to experience it too. Um, by the way, I will uh, – I should – I forgot to mention our sponsor. We have a, a pod sponsor, mm-hmm. which is Ground Coffee Society. Oh, fantastic. You're going to receive um, – how do you take your coffee at home? Do you kind of plunge or We've pods? We've got one of those or... – um, Nespresso thing, so a pod. Guess what? They do those. So um, they put their own coffee in those pods, and I'm going to send you a few boxes of those, okay, on behalf of the Ground Coffee Society. Thank you for the support. I I love my coffee, so uh, thank you very much. (laughs) All right. Thanks, Tammy. Um, We'll see you back on the table soon to clear the flow again uh, next week, I guess. Look forward to it. Thank you. Okay, that was Tammy Parler. Um, inspirational story, hey. But look, hey, if you've made it this far, you probably are a fan and therefore you should know that we actually have an Instagram uh, account called the Cairo London Pod, at Cairo London Pod on Instagram. Head over there, leave some comments, uh, give us some information about if you'd like anything else to be appearing on our podcast. Uh, we'd love to engage with you over on Instagram. All right, until our next edition, look after yourselves and keep an eye out for episode 54.